Hello and welcome to Building Your T-Shirt Empire. My name's Cole and with me as always is Gavin. This week we have a lot of great news for you, so let's jump right in. So, is Alpha Broder trying to circumvent the entire print shop industry with opening their own direct printing solution? Currently, if you go on the Alpha Broder website, you can now purchase a blank garment at full wholesale pricing add a print to it at very, very competitive print pricing and ship it directly to any address in America. Do you think that they're basically trying to undermine the existing clientele that they already have built over a decade? Or do you think that this is great and we can all become middlemen? Let us know in your comments. Screen printers, check this out. A recent survey from Screen Printing Magazine shows that 67% of screen printing shop owners would allow remote work within their business. Now, roughly 30% of the people that took the survey said something like this, and I'm paraphrasing here. Nah, I'm good. Remote work ain't for me. They're saying the main problem is communication and fairness. What do you think about this? Would you allow your people to work from home? In sustainability news, Next Level Apparel has now guaranteed that all of their future t-shirts will be US made cotton. Yeah, this is a very exciting turn for the industry, and it's exciting to see companies taking it upon themselves. Keep in mind, Next Level also just recently lowered their prices on wholesale products. So it's fascinating to see the industry shift and also make sure that print shops are out ahead with high-quality products. Big news if you're a basketball fan. Nike is relaunching the iconic Kobe Bryant brand with a fresh line of t-shirts, sneakers, and other apparel. So Nike made a pause to the brand after Kobe Bryant's tragic passing in 2020. Nike is relaunching this brand on August 23rd. What would have been Kobe Bryant's 45th birthday? In other news, American Apparel, which is not made in America, is now offering a CVC collection, which is going to have sustainable polyester at its core. What do you guys think about this product line? Is this a premium product? And do you feel like the price point is right for you? Check out their newest colors and product selection to see if it is something you want to be offering in your shop. Check this out. Another t-shirt franchise is making big changes. The t-shirt franchise, Big Frog, custom t-shirts and more. They just announced a new chief development officer. His name is David Braun. So David has been a leader in the franchising business model for over two decades. Now he has big plans to take Big Frogs to new levels. The CEO of Big Frogs, Tina Bacon, she's excited about this move and she expect because of it, the franchise will be growing a lot faster. So today we have the three big dogs at Next Level. We got Eric, Michael, and Brian. Uh, Eric, could you maybe tell us a little bit about what's going on at Next Level? Yeah, so uh, Eric's from Solo VP Bits Development. Over at Next Level, uh, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, we're really focused on kind of like the reemergence and reopening of things. Uh, what's like the changed landscape? I mean, obviously the last couple of years have been a little crazy, but like now that the dust has settled, like what categories are new, what products are hot, colors, what are the different printing types? I know we'll have a lot, a lot to talk about that today. And really like what does Next Level do to kind of accommodate all those things? And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the short of it. Um, I'm focused on my team really on like product expansion and looking at our whole assortment, like holistically, like what do we need? Uh, as you know, next level, whether we're selling to this channel or that channel, it always goes through the printer. So always think about like, how does the printer handle our product first? Cause it's got to get converted somewhere. It's going to be at a decorator. So that's just kind of the world I've been living in the last couple of years. And that's, that's my headspace as a whole, really. 
Very cool. And uh, Michael, how long have you been uh, president of Next Level? Six months. Okay. Six, uh, six long months. So you're learning from these guys. Yeah, and you were like one of the first people I met. Yeah, you were in here very quickly. Um, so thank you for kissing the ring. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice ring. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what industry did you come from? I was in the medical apparel industry, so scrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was our... Our primary business, and then uh, we had a school uniform division. We had a footwear and hosiery division. Uh, we had a medical instruments division. Uh, so, you know, big company. Uh, was there for 10 years. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on kind of like new eyes coming into this industry. What have you seen maybe, you know, some of the flaws of the industry, some of the ways that we can kind of take your existing knowledge and apply it to our businesses? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it's flaws of the industry necessarily, but um, you know, it's been it's been a, an interesting learning last six months for me. There's a lot of parallels to kind of what I was doing. Um, so in the in the medical uniform business, you're selling to groups, which is very similar here. You obviously want to capture you know bigger groups, and you know the the more the more shirts you can print on, the better. Right. Um, so a lot of similarities there deep inventories, having, you know, having stock, having, you know, trusted brands that, you know, as a printer that you, that you go to, same thing happens uh, kind of in the medical apparel. So there were, there are a lot of, a lot of similarities. I think from, from the next level point of view, um, you know, it's, it's product, right? And we've kind of always been a product company, um, best fit, you know, shirts that people love, shirts that the printers love to print on, great printability, and kind of really seeing ourselves more as a, as a brand out there so people ask for it and, and recognize it. And I think that's, for me, that's the biggest, uh, like, takeaway is, like, you know, we've got to get more out there, you know, with more product, more uniqueness, um, so that people are really seeing Next Level as, as uh, unique and, and the best. Yeah, I mean, I always love hearing how these different companies come up. I'm not sure which one of you knows the most history, but I bet I'd love to know some of that beginning phases to next level. Like, what was the inspiration? How did the company go from just, you know, running off a few thousand shirts to somehow becoming as large as they have now? So, yeah, um, I, I can speak to that. So, actually, my father was the founder of Next Level. Oh, wow. And a uh, couple generations deep of being in clothing. So my father and his father, they were partnered in a sublimation business primarily. Uh, they had huge print machines, like these things look like printing presses, not, mm-hmm. not far from here in uh, Rancho Dominguez. And he used to be uh, like the decorator first. So people would bring them his, their garments, he'd do the decoration, full package, send it back to them. Pretty simple, straightforward. Um, but back then, especially, I mean, still today to some degree, but especially back then, sublimation shirts were primarily for cycling and certain soccer, some cheaper stuff that were like very graphic heavy, but it started to get more prevalent into like fashion. So people wanted nicer, softer, better cuts, a little bit more fashion forward, almost like copying the kind of like silk print designs you'd see on like Versace and Cavalli and all those. Mm-hmm. But like, I want this in like a nice department store or in like a really cool like sportswear, like Nike campaign. So they came to him, they're like, Hey Joe, we don't like the garments. Like, do you have, do you think you could source us some like really cool fabric that like works for these types of programs? Cause I'm 
selling it to these types of customers and these types of stores for this type of price. And what we have today is some like thick, scratchy, 100% poly or like 80-20 blend. So he came out with, he ended up sourcing a 65-35 polycon fabric that we actually still use today in our festival collection. It was like a 40 singles, made it super lightweight. Being a little extra cotton does mean that like it's going to be softer, a little easier on the hand feel. It's not going to get like that super some poly print on it, but like for fashion, it worked. And so then the customers come back, they're like, hey, we're using enough of this. Can you just like have some of the blanks in stock for us? And then kind of the assortment grows from there naturally. It's kind of just a, a lot of back and forth of the customer saying, hey, can you do this too? Hey, can you do this mm-hmm. too? So what started with, you know, just doing the print came to get me the fabric. All right, get me just a regular blank. Get me a couple different blanks. All right, you did such a great job on that. Could you start doing the other stuff too? Like we have this shirt that we're getting from this guy, but it's 100% American made and we don't love the quality. Can you do that? You know, homestead cotton or, or like cotton blends. Then all of a sudden he looks at his, all the items that he has in stock and whether he called it next level or not at that point, he's like, I'm, I'm a blanks distributor. I'm a blanks manufacturer distributor. Yeah. Uh, so now he has his customers that, you know, kind of forced him to create uh, this whole assortment in the first place. He has some other decorators are frankly his competition at the same time saying, Hey, if you have extra blanks, do you mind like showing us inventory? We can buy against it. So now he's supplying blanks to his competitors. So the build, the business didn't come off of some like 75 page business plan that he presented to the bank or anything. It was kind of just like a natural step by step situation. And, you know, he came to the realization in 2003, like, Hey, this is a separate business. I need to treat it as such. So like, we're actually in two months, it's going to be our like 20 year anniversary as a company. Oh, wow. And so he, he kind of separated that, you know, two different lines of thinking started looking at the business as a whole, started doing all like the major trade shows, the ISS and all that, kind of seeing what the competitive landscape is. And then from there, you know, just using his original contacts as a as a decorator, speaking to, especially in SoCal, starting with like a lot of the surf and skate brands that are so prominent out here. So mm-hmm. that's where he really started, a lot of direct. Then you grow a large enough, you know, customer base, then you start doing a little bit of like the distributor model. Hey, I want a national footprint. I have customers that are based everywhere. I want to be able to reach them. So really it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like I, my father had this like grand vision. It was more so he was just like constantly listening to the customer, what they need. Like, Hey, you need that. Let me, let me try to do it. It worked out. And then you're continually, you know, offered these openings and that happened enough times. And from there, next level is born. Yeah. And so 20 years later, you know, we have a huge product assortment. We have national and really international footprint and, you know, we're, we're still doing it. And, uh, so that's kind of coming back to my original, you know, point is like, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of a, a decorator listening to the customer over and over and over then. And enough times that his customers were right. And they basically kind of guided him into his own, you know, standalone successful business. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. And um, it makes me think just because I've seen so many people attempting to build up brands over the last few years. And I kind of saw like the inside uh, nuts and bolts of some of it. And I saw a lot of the problems Uh, when he was having that growth and he didn't necessarily have like the high revenue yet. 
it's so unbelievably capital intensive mm-hmm. to make tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of units, and then just assume your customers are going to be there over and over. When he was growing, how did he do that? Was Did he search for outside investment? Did he no. just bootstrap it? Like, How did he bring in enough cash since the margins are relatively low? It was a lot of bootstrapping, um, a lot of you know, just having a really frank conversation with his customers when he was doing something that was a little out of his current business, if he's going to expand into something else, especially in the early days, it's like, hey, I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. I'm doing something that you're committing to. Can you mm-hmm. commit to me as well? And then we're kind of like piloting this program together. And if it works out, I'm going to add it to the main line. I'm going to carry deeper inventory, not just for you, but for everyone else. And, you know, and we'll just kind of go from there. And, you know, just it was really just a, a, a compilation of many baby steps. And really... Um, that, that's really what it came down to. And when you started having, at least for like the basic product, like the, your unisex day in, day out, short sleeve Kunex, he was actually, I would say a little bullish. Uh, so much so that like, you know, a big catalyst, like almost like a, I forgot what they call it, an econ class, like a J curve type of thing, uh, was, you know, 08 recession. A lot of companies are struggling, clothing. But a lot of people can't, you know, like get lines of credits, do like their own sourcing offshore. He was a little bullish. He had a bunch of inventory. So he actually worked out for him because a lot of people just needed to make quick decisions and we're in like a stock shelf business. So mm-hmm. it was like being bullish at the right time. And then from there, working with the distributors and kind of that opens up the next door of like access to customers. So in those early days, it's, you know, just having a lot of conversations that you're looking for partners more than customers um, to kind of take that leap of faith with you, be bullish on them. And especially in those like smaller, you know, customer type of bases in the early days, uh, you're dealing less with corporations. So like, you know, people are, can be a little bit more frank of like what you're dealing with, what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And it, it was trust. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like you must have been really incredible uh, just as a salesperson. Yeah. Um, Kind of jumping off of that, Brian, uh, when you're now taking the sales element of the business, you know, on a, in 2023, um, how do you approach reaching out to customers who probably already know about you guys and kind of present a new vision um, in those, you know, one-on-one meetings? Well, yeah, obviously the groundwork has been laid <clears throat> out really well, um, what they've done here at Next Level. So yeah, for me, it's just easy and trying to hear what the customer's saying, get back to the product team and how we can service everybody a little bit better. And what are you guys seeing as far as um, the industry as a whole, like sales-wise and success-wise? We heard there were people slowing down in June and whatever, but you guys being able to distribute to everyone, you must see kind of a national average of sales volume. Does it seem like we're having a good solid summer? Does it seem like maybe we're a little bit below expectations? Uh, you know, start of the year was was tough, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like there's some momentum. Um, you know, we're seeing it that there's some momentum coming. We we did um, lower pricing. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard that or not, but yeah. we did lower pricing on our three kind of largest styles, um, and and I think that's that's had some some success. You know, bringing it back more in line. Um, but yeah, we're hearing that things are starting to kind of pick up. I think you were saying you, you things are things are picking up. Yeah, we seem to be doing pretty well at the moment for this. I mean, for us for this summer, it's been good. Um, yeah. 
with your price adjustment, did that feel like something that was a necessity or did it feel like something where you figured out uh, kind of the, the flow of the shipping and all those problems that we had a year and a half, two years ago, and now you felt like, okay, we can pass the savings along? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cotton prices have come down. Um, you know, we felt like we can pass that, you know, pass that savings along because um, we had a couple of price increases over the last couple of years too. So, mm-hmm. you know, bringing it back more in line. Yeah, that's fantastic because yeah. most people would want to just lock in the margin. I mean, <laughs> everyone would like to, uh, but like the industry as a whole, you know, it's pretty unprecedented for us to have done so many price increases in such a short amount of time for any brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just like the nature of the beast of what was going on with costing for pretty much every variable on your cost sheet. Um, so like for us, we looked at it like, hey, you could lock it in, but you know, the competitive landscape is what it is. And, and it's just like the market was able to adjust with us so quickly, like almost every six months to go up, like for us to kind of realize, all right, it seems like the dust has settled. Let's like kind of assess the situation as it is right now and just like reestablish this, what our pricing is, this is what's right, you know? And like, we don't see any major changes, any big variability like tomorrow, like what we were like two years ago. So I think it was just kind of fair, to be honest. Yeah, that's very good that it's kind of come down a bit. I've, I had a lot of customers with sticker shock at different points over the last two years. So it's nice yeah. to see that everyone's feeling like it's leveling out. It was a crazy time. I mean, in, in my past industry, it was a crazy time. You know, same yeah. thing. I mean, logistic, you know, container pricing, right? shortages, and it was just wild, right? And things have kind of, the dust has settled, as Eric said, and... You know, we have we have nearshore production. Um, you know, so we're able to negotiate some some great prices and we're able to pass that along to the customer. We, we feel that that that's a good move for us. And now that we have like kind of normalization and we're not just desperately trying to scramble to make black T-shirts, um, <laughs> can you tell me some of the stuff that you guys are moving forward in uh, that you're excited about to to start creating and start launching? Yeah. Uh, I think as a proud person, I should probably take over this one. Uh, yeah, so I mean, next level, there was definitely, again, with the price uncertainty, also uncertainty of like what and how much you can bring and even when you could get it in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. So we're kind of back into the swing of things. We usually launch twice a year, a general rule of thumb, one fall, one spring. So we actually just launched, I think the official launch is actually today, uh, our fall 2023 collection. So we've got... Mm-hmm. We're kind of seeing like three different focuses um, on the fleece. So like definitely printability, printability, printability. So we're really focusing on one of our fabric collections, the Santa Cruz, that has like a hundred cotton, 30 singles face. I tell people like it prints like a 3600 and damn near every printer knows how to print a 3600. So mm-hmm. um, that's one of my favorites to really expand upon that fabric. So we're doing some cool things there like sweatshorts and all that. Um, in the ladies piece, we always think that ladies fleece has always been this, this weird category for the industry. It's either some like really cool pieces, but it's not really supported or some like novelty pieces for us. We're focusing on our suede French terry fabric. So I treat it like the festival fleece has like a really nice color palette, has like a matching set with the sweat pant. So it's kind of a little bit more curated, a little bit more, I call it retail focused. And then we've seen youth as a whole, not just for fleece, but really the whole category has been a big growth piece since COVID. 
Mm-hmm. So we're really doubling down on that. We have like a long sleeve and a hoodie. Um, as a whole, I think for the next couple years, there's, there's quite a few things that we're trying to check the box on. Not everything we could do at once, but like color expansions in the core. I think that's something that as far as I've been in the business, that's been like the one thing that's consistent. It's like, Hey, just give me more colors, the right colors, but more colors in our best sellers. So 3600, 6210, 6010, and so on. Um, so that's something that we're working on for spring. And then later into the year, we're going to get into a little bit more, I'd call it retail friendly pieces, uh, a little heavier weight, a little bit more, you know, visually friendly. I think you're, you kind of have like these two dualities for the customers that end up sending, selling into retail, uh, whether it's e-com or brick and mortar. On one hand, people want things to look good, feel good, fit good. You can experience that in the brick and mortar because people can like try things on. There's less of a return thing, you know, e-com, like the number one, like, like Achilles heel is like your returns can kill you. Right. But for the retail, uh, the e-com people, um, I could say it's a different fabric and right in the description, the different blends that doesn't usually mean too much to the e-com customer. So you have to have something that's a bit more visually striking. So what are those little visual details that I can call out, not just in the description, but also in the photography. So drop shoulder, unique washes, unique stitching details. And I think those are some things you're going to see from next level in the next, you know, 18 months or so that are going to be really prevalent in our product launches. Very cool. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of like pigment dye coming out and I've also been seeing everyone wants to do sometimes an overly heavy shirt, but sometimes at least like a five and a half ounce or a six ounce. Um, I've seen people take it to like eight and a half, nine ounce, which at some point is just a sweatshirt. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, are you guys kind of going the the streetwear side of things is that kind of your look or do you feel like you're more of like a maybe a fashiony retail brand like feels like there's kind of a divergence yeah in a brand like um you know a brand like Shockaware, yeah. which obviously just has a completely different kind of like vibe than you guys yeah um where do you kind of see yourself heading so that you have kind of a cohesive vision for the entire line so familiar with the shockwear product, that's definitely streetwear and that's right. definitely more of that. They, I mean, they have the six or six and a half, but I also know they've got some heavier pieces mm-hmm. as well. We're not quite going as far as eight and a half, nine ounce. You'll probably see our product land closer to that six, six and a half range. And for the fleece, you know, 10 plus. Um, so well, we got to stay true to yeah. who we are, right, as a brand and yeah. not get too... Yeah, so we're not... You know, no, well, there's no reason to mimic everyone no, who happens no. to have so some success. Yeah. We're going to have our version of it. I'm not trying to, like, outright, you know, do what someone else is doing. Right. So, like, Shockware, I actually uh, I like their stuff, so I respect what they're doing. But we're not trying to, like, do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got, like, our own... I'll call it... We're, we're next level, like, defying our version of a heavyweight t-shirt, it's definitely going to be like the comfort and like fit and like reliability of a 3600, but it's going to be a little bit more roomy. It's going to have a bit of a drop shoulder detail, but it's still going to be like the little details on like how it doesn't like hip hug on the ladies, how like the neck line sits, like mm-hmm. those little things that, you know, has made the 3600 successful. Like that's still there. That DNA is still there. Um, that one's going to be probably like mid of next year launch. Very cool. Uh, but coming back to the garment dye, pigment dye that you spoke to. So next level used to have a pigment dye piece. Uh, but for us, we found it a little bit problematic on the printability of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually launched something 
somewhat similar, uh, but not quite the same, uh, called the, the soft wash. So soft wash is basically we're taking a, a regular like piece art fabric dyed garment and we're taking it to the dye house and like washing it down. So you have kind of like the highs and lows of a pigment dyed t-shirt, like that nice, like cool color variation, especially like on the stitching and like the end pieces, but it goes through like a regular dye process. So it's a little bit more reliable on the print. And also it's like the way I look at it is it's almost like you take a 3600, you put it through the ringer and you find it in like a cool vintage thrift shop 20 years later with some like faded Thrasher Metallica print. Like that's what like my 3600 soft wash garment looks like. Very cool. And so it's like not quite pigment dye, but it's almost leaning a little bit towards like the vintage cool wash down. It's like, it's that little like gem piece you found 20 years later after it was made, but like we're delivering it today. So, and it's, huh. it's on the 3600 body. Yeah. It's a 3600 body. So if you know your fit there, you know, like it's already like you're covered. So where in the supply chain is that, um, that wash and finishing ha happening? Is that happening stateside? Like it's so, a finished product and then you do it? No. So that one is happening primarily like after we cut and sew it, but before we bring it over here, okay, we take it to a dye house to essentially not add pigment to it, but almost wash it out, but not so much that like the shirt is, you know, natural white again, mm -hmm. but just to kind of like, almost as if you washed it a hundred times in the, in the washing machine, give it a little bit of softening. And then because it's gone through that process, it's also actually a pre shrunk, but you know, for us, you know, we had a garment dye item once upon a time. We called it Inspire Dye. It was a great piece, one of my personal favorites. But it was great as a blank, not great for the printers. Just the dyes, you know, to get the chemicals right, and especially if you change it from one dye house to the other, like that formula, you have to restart it. It was just a little bit too much of a headache, and we just felt like this is a great blank, but for our market, for our customer base, like we're really just not like checking the boxes our customers need. Like mm -hmm. for me to go back and, you know, troubleshoot every type of printing process. Hey, did you use a gray poly blocker and all this stuff on it? It, it just, it wasn't fun for anyone involved. Right. <laughs> so it ended up being like the shirt that the decorators and the printers didn't love selling into programs, but I always right. saw them wearing it for their own personal collection as a blank, right. which is okay. Again, great, but like, we're not, we're not in that space. So it just wasn't the right program for us. So yeah. that's why you ended up pulling out of it. And we're like, hey, we, we love that look and feel. How do we replicate it without, you know, our biggest problem, which was the printability. We're like, well, the, you know, a fabric dyed, regular, you know, dye house type of fabric and garment is, you know, indestructible. The 3600 has been around since 06. So that's your tried and true t-shirt. How do we just turn that and have that look, look and feel that we want? So we took our most reliable shirt. Gave it the look and feel like wash down process that we needed. And we're like, all right, this should like ease any of the concerns of like a pigment dye product. But right. there's definitely a lot of great products out there in the pigment dye world uh, from a lot of our competitors. I think we do, they do great. Uh, I think just at the time, Next Level didn't figure it out with the previous box. So we want to like, how do we like service this market and this look and feel without, you know, within our capabilities? And I think, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased, but I really love the product. It's, yeah. It's got a nice hand. You mentioned a lot about the 3600. I think at my shop, the 3600 had to be the number one selling shirt. Like, I don't think there's one customer that I gave that shirt to that they was not impressed by it or yeah, they, that didn't 
they didn't say something positive about it. So I'm curious to, I'm curious to know, well, obviously you just mentioned it. I think it, you said it's the most popular show you guys got, right? Uh, started in 06. Uh, uh, tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about that shirt. Like, how come it has become like a staple shirt for you guys? What, what about it that makes people like it so much? Uh, I know my customers liked it. Uh, I personally got a few of those in my closet. Like, what about that shirt that, like, really hit the, it for you guys? 6210 for yeah. us has now become the number one shirt. So yeah. Oh, okay. Has taken over the 3600. But oh, wow. Maybe, maybe, I mean, Brian's. Brian knows our product very well, yeah. so maybe we give Brian the opportunity. Well, the fit's fantastic on the 3600, and then it's just a touch softer than anything else out in the market. I mean, it's a beautiful shirt. The side seam gives it more of a fitted feel. Um, yeah. It's a great product. And we started using 100% U.S. cotton on our 3600 going forward. Yeah. With the U.S. cotton, where is that um, being done? Is that like North Carolina or...? So the, the cotton itself is coming from U.S. cotton farmers, North Carolina, Alabama. I'm sure Texas is also in there. West Texas is a, a big provider. But the fabric itself is being converted outside. So one of our largest hubs is going to be like Honduras. Mm -hmm. And we have mm -hmm. a couple other fabric suppliers elsewhere. But the cotton itself that they're sourcing is from the U.S. So um, it's kind of it, it's kind of crazy with with a lot of the shirts in the market, most of the shirts in the market, by the time it comes back to the States, it's got a couple of visits on its passport. Right. But, um, so, you know, a lot of our cotton sew facilities are Central America. So we'll get the fabric from a place like Honduras or, or Haiti, Dominican, or even like Thailand. We bring it over to our cotton sew facilities and then we send it back over here. Hmm. So, and so in that, in that kind of big uh, supply chain, what is Next Level been doing over the last decade or so to improve the quality of life and also maybe like the sustainability of the product? Um, I know there's so many like certifications that most print shops are like, okay, you're blah, 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 certified. Congratulations. And most of us don't know what it means. Could you like let us know a little bit what it yeah. takes to get those certifications and why they actually do help push our industry forward? Yeah. You want to take, you wanna I, take I it? I got it. You, you got I it. I mean, you're the product guy. All right. So, so I think it was... Um, <laughs> It might have been 2018, if not 2019, Next Level, you know, previously run as, you know, family business, you know, but in large scale, we hired director of CSR to really formalize a lot of that process. Beforehand, you have a lot of your production guys handling that, which is the right way to do it because that's, those are the folks that are handling that. But it is a bit of a conflict of interest because those are the people that have relationships with our vendors and our factories. So we hired a director of CSR. Her name's Carly. She's she's a CSR killer. CSR stands for corporate. Uh, corporate social responsibility. Sorry, um, <laughs> but she's she's a killer. Uh, she comes from the college licensing space, and those are the people that, especially in the U.S., have always been like the most stringent about all that. Just because like a lot of those college and college groups always have like a, a long list of their requirements and how you do all that. With every company, it depends on like what space you're in, who your customers are, and where you sell like geographically as to like find out which certification you want to need. Uh, you don't want to do too much because it can turn into a very expensive for the factory kind of like uh, certification fatigue. Right. So you almost have to find like what fits for yours. So for like workers' rights, you want to pick your two or three that really will encompass like your values. And then the same thing happens as well for sustainability. And for us, next level, uh, historically, RAP has been the like gold standard in the U.S. as a whole. 
uh, for the U.S. market. Wrap uh, Platinum certified most of our CMTs. But once we kind of got exposed to this college licensing world, we figured that there's like almost a step above that you can go further. Uh, so we work with FLA, which is the Fair Labor Association. We've been, uh, our application went through for approval October of 19, and we're an FLA accredited company. On the sustainability end, so that, that's, that's workers' right, making sure everything's equitable, fair, safe working conditions. And uh, we're very transparent about any certifications or inspections that companies need. So if you do need that, just feel free to reach out to Next Level or whoever you're buying from. We, we have that very open. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other end, for sustainability, you have to go a step further on, you know, the materials are sourcing, you know, waste. And I mean, you could do it. There's like five different tiers of sustainability that you can mm-hmm. attack it. So Next Level has done a couple different concerted efforts. Um, just try to minimize waste. You know, if there's no trash, you don't have to recycle. We're never going to get to net zero, but you try your best. Um, we're nearshoring a lot of our product. And, you know, Mike has said that, but nearshoring means like historically, a lot of Next Level product came from, at least the fabric came from like East Asia, usually like China, then to a factory in Central America, then back to the US. In some cases, you send it to the US for cutting. And then, so it's like, this thing, as I said earlier, the passport on each t-shirt has a lot of, you know, stamps on this passport. Yeah. So how do you minimize kind of like the miles traveled before you even talk about the materials in the shirt itself? So we're kind of changing our footprint the last couple of years to have almost like these production hubs. So if I can minimize the mileage between my fabric source and my cut and sew facilities, I've reduced most of the carbon footprint of that shirt right then and there. And it's way easier. It's way more efficient. It's also quicker. Yeah. It's a better business model as well because it makes us more flexible and a lot quicker to be able to service our customers here. So it's, it's, it's good business a couple of different ways. And then the next step is, okay, now the material is in the shirt itself. So Next Level has played with a couple of different sustainable shirts in the past that we've tested out, see what the customer likes, you know, what's the right blend, what's the right weight. Um, and historically sustainable shirts have been more expensive, which is, you know, sometimes turns off the customer. So as much as they'd like to ask for it, they might not be able to pay for it. Um, so next level is trying to attack that in a couple different ways. So using us cotton, generally speaking, has way better practices in the way that the cotton's grown just because us has its own laws on water usage chemical uses all that than some other places so there's already more equitable cotton than most other places in the world but the step after that is we're actually so we're transitioning all of our cotton to us cotton i think fabric purchases from november, it was november of last year oh i thought it was a little later so yeah. as early as november we started to convert that over and then as well as i think from it was either february or march of this year recycle polyester across the board so that's that's rolling into the inventory so we haven't advertised that in mass yet um so little things like that you know if i look at all the shirts that next level makes in a year and just from the 6210 which is our best seller which is 40 percent recycled poly mm-hmm. uh recycle 40 percent poly if i switch that over to recycle poly with no upcharge to the customer that's just something that we're doing we've negotiated and sourced with our own vendors it's not a separate product. It's not a separate box, a separate SKU. You keep ordering as you order. And then when we've tracked in our system that it's fully converted, we're going to make that announcement and wow. basically thank everyone for getting us there. Um, you know, 
if I look like at a random New Year next level, we're making, you know, tens of millions, hundred million shirts. And our bestseller shirt is 40% recycled poly, 4.3 ounce. The rough estimate is you've got about three plastic bottles per t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So we multiply that by all of our blended shirts. Our most common blend is a 60-40 blend. Yeah. You're already like you've already had a huge impact right there. Yeah, that's huge. And fleece and, and you know, yeah, and every and, and all other products all that it. are blended. Again, 60-40 blend, you find that that's kind of like next level's most common blend. That's in almost our entire product range. Is that I think that's pretty unique in the industry. I don't think anyone's done it as just a policy. I think everyone does it as kind of a an upsell. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we've done the, the other item. Uh again, I think just the market wasn't as receptive to it. Maybe we just had the wrong, you know, formula for the blend. Uh maybe it was just not the right time. And, but I still think some customers, depending on what the the sustainable item in the shirt is, they're not willing to pay that extra dollar. You know, people always ask for sustainable or American made, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they they'll pay for it, sometimes not. Uh so we're we were thinking, you know, rather than having this other curated brand that is like very holistically sustainable, that there are definitely customers that want that, especially in like your outdoor retailer type of space. Like, like there's some of our competitors that do that well. Uh, you know, shout out to them; they know who they are. Um, we're like, how do we have like the biggest impact, but with like in the sustainability with the least impact in like the sellability of the item itself. So for us to be able to convert everything to recycle poly with no upcharge, I think that's huge. That was never the case in the past. Right. You know, we've we, we've tried we've tried that conversation every year for the last ten years, and up until this year, it was a no. So now you, it's a yes. We're going to lock it in. <laughs> do you know why it's more challenging? Like why is recycled material so much more expensive to create into thread? So I think it's just uh, it, it's. Where do they make it? How do they make it? I think the recycle poly facilities wasn't in mass. Most of them were East Asia in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great American supplier, uh, Unify. They have their reprieve poly. We've used that before. That was like in our mass and our previous products. Um, so I think just the technology and the availability of that machinery is more in mass now that a lot of facilities like good yarn making facilities will have that in house. So it's just a lot easier for them to be able to supply it. And then demand has grown large enough that it makes sense for them to make those investments. So right. some of the vendors that were getting that recycled poly from today, five, 10 years ago, they probably couldn't even sell it to you if they tried, or they have to buy it from someone else who's making it. So it's a middleman meets a middleman meets a middleman and good luck for your good intention. Uh, but it's going to be too expensive for you to do. So the next step from there is like, okay, so we've, kind of attack the poly, but even that's not perfect. And how do you go back to the cotton or other materials that you kind of can improve that, whether it's organic or BCI or other synthetics or reducing the water usage in the dye houses. And I think really, and I've talked with some customers about this, including some of our larger wholesale distributors, there's no silver bullet for sustainability. I think it's just going to be a ever evolving thing just to constantly improve. Because newer dye houses can re- reduce their water usage in the dye process for fabric. Uh, then maybe the technologies get better that you can use less harmful chemicals in dyeing fabric. And then recycle poly is great, but then if you get rid of synthetic materials as a whole, then you can get rid of microplastics. So it's like 
there's like this whole menu of, it's almost like a cheesecake factory menu of things you can do to be sustainable. You just kind of have to pick the things that you think can be in fact impactful with the least negative impact on your business and your customer. And then just constantly get better at those. So next level as a whole, like those are the things that we're doing today. We're trying to, you know, do all that plus be as efficient as we can in our fabric usage just to reduce waste in the first place. Cause then you don't have to find a place to, you know, shove it or reuse it. Um, we have a, I mean, we have a roadmap kind of going forward of yeah. what's after recycled poly, like what's the next thing, and we we have that, and it, a lot of it comes down to the consumer and and you know the people who are buying the product, what are they willing to to buy at the time, mm-hmm. and and I think if you look at your the European countries, and we made an acquisition of the Stedman brand. I don't know if you're familiar with the Stedman brand. Um, it used to be an for, American company. Yeah, it's a were, long story. They were owned by a large American company. Were around for seventy, have been around for seventy years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, spun off are in Germany. We made the acquisition because we really wanted to learn about the European market. You know, not be the typical American company that everything's great in America. Just take the product and move it over to Europe, and you're going to have success. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to understand like there's a lot of differences in Europe and what people like and don't like and fit and you know all, the whole story, but. Europe is probably five plus years ahead of America from a sustainability standpoint. And, you know, polyester, any kind of polyester blend in Europe is like a, you know, no, 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 we don't, we don't want that. That's made of plastic and oil, you know, so Europe is very heavy cotton um, focused. So we're learning a lot from our partner there Mm. and uh, they're helping us and we're developing into Europe with maybe, maybe more forward thinking product that will work its way into the U.S. in, you know, three, five years, you know, just depending on when, when we're ready for it here. Like one example of, of something that we're learning from them is like the Sedman brand and, and really a lot of the European brands. Um, as Mike said, they're, they're really anti-synthetic materials, especially polyester, even if it's recycled. I mean, that's better, but it's not best. Um, so what they do is like for their heathers, they do like 100% cotton heather. So it's like down to the yarn dye, which is like you have to get a lot more intensive in your supply chain to be able to pull, pull that off. But like just that little step right there, that's already improved like the, the, the reduced the harm of that garment on the environment just by being able to do like 100% cotton heather. And the U.S. market is so heather dominant. I mean, right. that's part of why our 6210 has for the last couple of years now been outselling the 3600, which is, I never thought that they would come. Um, so it's like little things like that. If we could like make that in a scalable way, be able to like bring that to the American market, that could be something that next level is introducing in a couple of years time. And so yeah. we're, we're not there yet, but we're again with the, how do you do those sustainable impacts? I think it's a ever evolving process. Just What do you guys see from, products that, uh, you know, your customers are asking for sustainability story, organic. Yeah. I mean, I've always had the experience of a massive amount of people ask for made in America and they ask for sustainable and then they don't pay $2 more. Um, yeah. so that's pretty much our experience with it. Um, we did a quite a big push on one of the brands in the past that was very, very sustainable. And that was kind of their whole pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I sold like 500 of them or something while I meanwhile sold thousands of normal shirts. And we were blatantly like we had like little handouts. We had signage. We were like, you know, it's only a little bit more and it's better in all these ways. And 
it comes down to price so much. Mm-hmm. Like people want to blame the corporation, but they don't want to pay more. Yeah. Um, so we've seen that a lot and we obviously offer it to anyone who wants it. Um, but most of the time we end up selling, you know, a lot of 64,000s, which are like soft styles because it's basically the cheapest ring spun they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we start moving up the chain, then we do things like the 6210, which makes sense. But, um, you end up with this like serious cost issue with people, especially in print shops, because print shops are typically marking up the blank. So even though you could make something for, let's say, five, six dollars printed, um, by the time the end consumers buying it from a print shop, they're paying like twelve, thirteen dollars. So then if you tell them, do you want twelve fifty or do you want fifteen for the eco friendly? That conflict arises in bigger volumes. That's not the issue. But on those smaller sales, it definitely is. Yeah, I, f- I found it really tough. Just uh, I don't know if it was my customer base, but they they heard me. They listened. They heard what I was saying. You know, it was nice enough to just kind of. But when it came down to, hey, let's close this deal on an eco-friendly shirt. It, nah, most 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 of them didn't. And part of it, it, it had some other part of the story like we had some success with it because we took a different angle told uh like the humanity uh type story instead of more of like a eagle uh story so that that helped out i like the approach of having it built in that you guys having it built in where it's almost like it's the shirt it is the the shirt is already eco-friendly right out of the box it's not something extra that we're doing it's already part of naturally what the product is i think that's a really really good approach and if that and i think if you guys are uh, successful with that a lot of the industry is going to copy you guys uh, when it comes to i'm super excited about this opportunity because i I worked at a brand in the past we saw eco-friendly shirts you know that we sold for five bucks more or so sit on the shelf so for me to be have, have the opportunity to sell to customers and no upcharge it's fantastic yeah it's, it's great for the environment it's great for the future yeah um i'd love to kind of hear what um you know uh, you guys are big players in the industry obviously you guys i see you guys often at the trade shows uh like what is it that you guys are doing to help out the industry obviously besides selling great products in the industry let's mainly talk about the screen printing industry like how you guys helping push that forward what uh resources uh does next level provide to say a screen printer or support or uh anything like that that they say i'm just starting out or i'm in the middle of my business and i need some type of a educational partner what are you guys doing enough on that front well we have a we have a great print guide Right, mm-hmm. that Eric and, and his team um, created. It's on our it's on our website. It's on nextlevelapparel.com, so you can go and download it. It's a PDF um, that that helps. But we're we're refocused on. So we I think at one point prior to me being here, we went to like fifty trade shows a year, something like that. Fifty six. Fifty six. Fifty six trade shows. So we went from fifty six to like three. Uh, I think last year we went to three. Or yeah, four, something maybe. like that. It wasn't. Um, so this year we're going to. I think there's 15 or something, something along those lines. So we've increased the number of shows and and print printer focus, screen printer focus shows, so that we're okay. we're out there talking. We've also focused the the selling organization, the sales team, to go out and reach out to the printers and and 
understand, learn what the pain points are and see how can we help. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, my first, you know, coming to the company, you know, came in and saw Cole, Brian brought me um, and, uh, and, you know, it, it's good for us to be learning from you guys. Like what are, what are the pain points? What's happening? How can we be a better partner so that, you know, we can, we can, uh, you know, make changes in, in the way we do things. So, um, you know, educating the team. I know, you know, we're going to do an education uh, coming up with our customer service team and our sales team and our exec team, you know, to really understand kind of how do you print on a shirt and, and, and just kind of 101. So, you know, mm -hmm. it really helps us, you know, understand the perspective. So we're not going into this, you know, blind, you know, not realizing all the pain points that you guys are going through and just, you know, putting product out. And I think, you know, historically, with Joe, you know, Eric's father founding the company and being a printer himself, printability has always been at the forefront of any product that we create, right? Like we could do some different products, but like if it doesn't have that printability, uh, you know, we're not going to make it. So, you know, we're just going to continue to lean in. Um, and, you know, all, this year we've been leaning in and we're going to continue to lean in, you know, more and more in, in the coming years. What show are you guys going to be going to this year? So for the rest of the year, I don't know. What shows We've got Graphics Pro, Long Beach, the 16th, 17th, 18th of this month, August now. Oh, I want to go to that. I keep forgetting that that's happening. We'll get you on the list. Be, it used to be called, N, well, it used to be NBM. That was like the, the king of like the, the mid-sized regional shows and definitely mm -hmm. more like equipment-based. Uh-huh. And then at some point they rebranded. I think maybe there was an acquisition or something. I'm not sure. The three of us were just at ASI Chicago yeah. uh, last week. So we just got back. So, you know, obviously we've got that, um, you know, impressions. Uh, okay. And then a bunch of the graphics pros. I think there's a bunch of regional shows. Are you guys doing the Fort Worth, Fort Worth one? And I think we are. are we doing that? I think we are. That's yeah. September or yes. something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah mid-September. Oh, yeah. oh. How about Pr Printing United? You guys doing that one? In Atlanta, I think, I think we are doing the Printing yeah. United also. Yeah, we added nice. you know, when I when I got here, uh, I was like, hey, three three trade shows. You know, just kind of yeah. these big trade shows. I'm like, we got to go to more trade shows. So we added, I think, twelve or so more trade shows that are all printer focused. So Printing United one was one of them, and uh, some of the others. I think the thing where we were, we went from like fifty something trade shows to three because like it's hard to gauge like. What are you really getting out of it? It's like it's yeah. calculating print media versus like yeah. cost per click online. It's very tangible when you have like all the digital stuff, but that intangible like getting in front of the customer's face, especially regionally, like people to really like get to know your product, to see your product. We have some some of my favorite shirts like our suede tee, like in picture and you know, as creative wordsmith my marketing team may be, like it'll never be able to be fully captured unless I show you and hand you the right. shirt itself. Mm -hmm. So like those little things, we like to be there uh, as much as we can. We definitely aren't going back to 50 something shows a year, but <laughs> I think we've, you know, in this post COVID climate, I think most people have sized up which shows are still the most relevant and get a good, give you a good like regional by regional, like, coverage so at least you're like covering most areas of the country yeah in a there's good nothing year. better than being in front of a, yeah. our customer which is you guys right a printer there's nothing better 
you can't, you know, that's where you learn. That's where you get ideas. That's where you collaborate. That's, I mean, so we've got to go to more shows, which we're doing. And, yeah. you know, we've got the, the sales team focused on, you know, going and seeing the printers, you know, even though you're buying through one of our wholesalers or, you know, wholesale distributors, that's great. But, you know, we want to be in front of you talking about product, hearing what, what's going on and, and making tweaks and changes, you know, that are important to you guys. I'd love to hear about your sales process, like even more internally, because, uh, you know, we've always struggled with being good at any sort of outside sales. A lot of print shops, they're at the mercy of the person that calls, maybe a few recommendations from somebody who had a good job in the past. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you guys train your sales staff to be consistent and have them not just wander off into the city and then claim that they <laughs> samples, you know, like how do you turn somebody being told to knock on doors into like actionable events as a salesperson? Yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, it's a one. good question. Um, I think, you know, it comes down to people, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got some great uh, senior leaders in, in the company and then, you know, bringing in, you know, great, great people like Brian. So, you know, I'd maybe lean on you with that question of, you know, what do you... Well, we got think, him. He, he just wanders nice off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, here we are, you know. And, um, you know, we keep track of, of where we're going. Um, for me, you know, they trust us to be out in the field and, uh, you know, we're, we're knocking on doors, seeing the people we need to see, getting in front of the big clients. And um, for me, it's a great opportunity. So I'm excited. Yeah. And what does it look like um, on the internal side? Like once you accept a lead or the first order or whatever, you guys must have like an entire CRM built up to have not only follow up, but sampling and all of that kind of stuff in place. So today we don't have this okay. CRM, yeah. wow. but that's uh, something that we're doing right now. So we've got, we're down to three uh, CRM companies that we're, okay. that we're looking at. Uh, Microsoft, uh, Salesforce, and HubSpot are the three that were mm. we're narrowed down to the final piece. But uh, I've, I've always had CRMs at every company I've ever been at. We came here. Uh, I think they had Salesforce at one time a long yeah. time ago. It was underutilized. Nobody though. utilized it, so they kind of ended up killing it. So they're using a, a shareable Excel Oh wow! Documents Old right school. now better than Post-it notes. Better yeah. than Post-it, but not. Yeah. I'm know. a big fan of Post-it notes, though. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so that's that's coming to you know really professionalize the CRM, you know, so that we can capture all that information, and then you get this like 360 degree view of the customer and the lead, and following through samples and reminders and, and right. all those things. Uh, today, it's on a it's on a spreadsheet. Well, I mean, the spreadsheet is still valid and it, yeah, I kind of, I mean, we've been talking to basically everyone about this same topic. Yeah. So on the topic of software, have you guys found any practical application for AI, whether it's, you know, it's checking your own data to maybe see something you didn't notice, or maybe you're using it to automate marketing or automate blog posts. Is, has there been any implementation yet inside of next level? Not not fully, I would say. I mean, mm -hmm. I know ChatGPT people use to, <laughs> yeah. you know, create, uh, you know, different, more, more like writing, you know, right. composing. So people Cover use letters that. and such. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, no, and, and I've heard some really cool things that people are using AI for order, um, like placement. So someone will place an order, maybe it comes through on an email or, or something, and they're able to like scan the order using AI and then load it. Mm -hmm. um, 
also a lot of these, you know, Salesforce and a lot of these companies have AI in the software, but nobody can mm-hmm. ever quite explain how they're using it in right. the software. It's a little bit of a black box mm-hmm. um, at this point. But I mean, I mean obviously, with ChatGPT, it's really opened up the the world quite a bit. Um, and I yeah, think there's a lot more coming. I would think that you could do some really amazing, like, uh, you know, future sales forecasting out of it. So you can, you can look at X amount of sales over a certain amount of time, and then it could go in and evaluate, um, you know, expected sales growth and transitions to different price points and stuff, um, which you can kind of do slowly right now with spreadsheets, but then you're not really, uh, you're limited to whoever's creativity it is that's running the spreadsheet. And it's not real time. And it's not uh, almost instant. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 we, I just dumped a stupid, um, some stupid data on it. And it was just like, here's customers who sold this, who bought this much from me in this amount of time, blah, blah, blah. What should I expect from them over this amount of time? And then it spit out answers. And then you can just start asking more questions. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like this, it's like this amazing data analysis that you would pay a fortune for. And they would wait weeks to give you a report. And you're just having a conversation with it. And you're like, so what if I do this? And what do I do? What if I do that? If I raise it this much, what's my total revenue increase? Blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's pretty amazing to do that on like your scale would be some yeah. wild information. I think when it comes to like, not just for like the planning and purchasing team, but also for just like sales trends, like on the product team, just like singing what's trending, what's mm-hmm. like, and why, like, where is it coming from? I think it's just like, it's not going to tell you something that you couldn't do with having some analysts, but it's going to be a lot quicker. Yes, yeah, And I think that, cause I mean, I remember when back when I was like a sales intern, there was like one document that would, it would take two days out of my week to pull it together. And then next time I'd be asked for it, it's like basically I was spending half my week just creating this document, delivering it, having meetings about it, then going back to make a new one. Mm-hmm. So like to have those, that kind of software to be able to like pull that stuff together and be able to give you those answers quick would be great. And I think um, in this space, it, it'll be interesting to see like who and how it's at, applied at all, if at all. Uh, I think um, on the production side, probably too, not too much, but definitely planning, sales trends, all that and more. But then also even on like the marketing end of things, mm-hmm. I feel like there might be like an aggregate of like just like propping up some kind of like presentations or like getting trend data back or like maybe even copy if you just kind of give it the guidelines like like i know like our team like spends a bunch of time putting our catalog together but if you kind of just give the guidelines like this the template you know let the rinse repeat maybe you could i don't know we've used it for Um, some copy yeah stuff but not you know we we need to open it up more um and we're not there yeah it also needs to get better but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Have you all seen? I mean, so you used it basically for like a customer analysis. I I try to replace everybody in my shop with it. <laughs> it is so everyone who's working for the Azure agency. Congratulations, the robots have not yet replaced you. Unfortunately, uh, we touch too many things. That's what's killing me. So like, I yeah, I play with it a ton. So I've I have a chat bot that I built that hasn't gone live because I'm not thrilled with it. Um, that, <laughs> that's AI and it, Gavin played with it a little, uh, it's yeah. a little bit better now, Gavin. Um, but it does things like it has like our best sellers. So it'll recommend best sellers. And then you can say, is that a cotton shirt? And then it'll give you the breakdown of the shirt. 
And then you can say, okay, if I want 50 of them by Tuesday, can you do it? And it'll say, sure, we can do it. Um, but let me have a salesperson write up an official quote, stuff like that. Um, so like it, in like a customer service capacity, almost like a glorified FAQ, um, that kind of stuff is interesting. And then besides that, you can just kind of have it analyze and create data like crazy. So if you, one thing that I haven't implemented, so if anyone wants to steal my idea, that's a print shop, you guys won't steal it. But um, if you notice, Custom Inc. has a page for like every city in America. Um, and so they have, you know, Westminster, California's best screen printing solution and blah, 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 blah. It's all Custom Inc. And they manually had to figure out how to write that stuff up. Now with these sorts of tools, you can give it a framework, tell it that it needs to be optimized for SEO for a certain location, and then you can have it output massive spreadsheet files, and then you can upload those spreadsheet files as just individual web pages on a server. So in customing literally paid someone to do whatever they did, 1,500 unique cities in America, and they did that years ago because of SEO, because they want you to search for t-shirts and naturally get them besides their paid ads. But we could now actually do that with essentially no budget, and you're just coming up with the idea that they paid a fortune for, just so that you're optimizing for everyone in a you know 20 mile vicinity of you. Um, so those kind of content moves are yeah. dope. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's actually you better get on that. Yeah, you can hire me. Steal it from yourself. <laughs> I'm gonna let Mike elaborate further, but uh, I'm gonna make a little plug here with the. <clears throat> we just came out with a new newsletter. Called the T. Oh, cool! And, uh, oh, for some of that. Yeah, it's uh, a good idea. That we I had to write a bunch of stuff on that. <laughs> the marketing <laughs> team's gonna thank you for that one. <laughs> yeah, we just uh, we just sent it out today. I don't know if you got it. If you checked your emails yet, but um, the first inaugural newsletter. So we're gonna do it monthly. Cool. It's called the T, and um, you know it's just gonna be about kind of industry news and what's going on with Next Level and. You know, hopefully we'll get some interaction from you and, and you know, your fellow uh, printers that will, you know, send in topics and ask questions and, you know, just us being able to kind of touch base um, with you month to month. Yeah. Well, we'd love to be a part of it at some point. Yeah. That'd be great. For yeah. sure. For yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm curious. How big is the company, like, headcount wise? Like, uh, where are you guys at? I think we're at like 225, something like that, employees. Oh, wow. um, you know, so we have offices in uh, Torrance, California, which um, you know, I think there's 75 or 80 folks there, which is our corporate office, which is where, where we all are. Um, mm -hmm. And then we've got a 250,000-square-foot um, distribution center that's attached to it, that's a part of it. So yeah. on the front of the building, two stories are the offices. And then back of the building is uh, our California warehouse. And then we've got one in Dothan, uh, Alabama, which is about the same size um, to manage the East Coast. And then we've got a full kind of same team, production team down in uh, Managua, Nicaragua. So, um, and then there's to 300. Maybe it's closer to 300. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and down there, there's distribution, there's, there's cut and sew, uh, and all of that. I mean, the fabric, most of the fabric is in Honduras. Nice, we, nice. Can, we can cut this if you don't want to make it public, but it, I've heard that a lot of the brands are actually using the same factories. Do you have full ownership of the facilities over there, so, or are they vendors that then potentially have multiple clients? So 
we next level as a company doesn't own any of our own factories, but okay. there are many factories that like not only have we been with them forever, we might be their only client. We might be like a hundred percent of that, Got at it. least the capacity in that building. There are mm-hmm. a couple of factories that are like, you have a couple of different vendors, some of our competitors and peers. Uh, and then there's some other factories that like, it's not owned by next level, but similar ownership, like my father or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, the way that we kind of explain to people is like most of our vendors and vendor base, it's while we don't own it, we do have like a high level of control of the quality because we're basically like tell them, Hey, this is the next level system. This is how you want to set up your line. This is our process. And we're going to keep you busy. Like hundred percent of your employees are going to be working on next level garments. And if we can keep that consistent, then like that proves out the process in our system. So that's like our ideal situation, but you know, you never know a hundred percent of your volume for the year, you know, 12 months out and Mm -hmm. there's certain things and certain countries that we don't have a footprint in like a high level control. So we're testing out new people or, you know, different types of garments, whether it's like fleece or one day we might get into accessories, who knows? Mm -hmm. So I think it's like kind of ever evolving, but like next level, the goal is to have as many of our vendors, at least that building be like hundred percent next level product. And that way it just, it, it proves out the system, but also keeps that like kind of like separation of church and state. A lot of our vendors, they, you know, these are companies that have like multiple factories and they do different types of stuff and yeah, they make for some of our competitors. There's no question about that. You know, I've been down to Nicaragua driven by a factory that wasn't ours. And the person said, Oh, you know, so-and-so is over there, you know, they're making those shirts out there and you can literally see the boxes out of the thing. But the reason that they're there and the reason why we're there is that like certain countries have proven to be like very good for us as far as quality for like certain types of garments. So a lot of our peers, they're in the same countries as us. A lot of, you know, their production folks know some of our production folks. Like it's, it's no secret in the t-shirt business. So we don't, we used to be very like weird about that to make sure like, Hey, they're not supposed to, let's like, it's no point in it. Like we know where they are. They know where we are. We're all making yeah. shirts. And like a lot of those people like may end up working for you in a different capacity or vice versa in a future day and age. I mean, this is what we do. So it's, it's like as big as the industry is, especially in like the blanks wholesale, like industry in the States, it, it's actually pretty small. So like most people's resumes have like in our space, multiple like, of the like same companies. Names yeah. Are, like, yeah. At least I'm going to show up on someone's resume. Right. You know? So like, it's not weird. It used to be, but I think people are over it. <laughs> why is it? I, I've never totally understood why it is that it, with all the automation that we have in so many industries, why we're still essentially hand sewing shirts. Like what, why, what makes it so difficult to automate and why do we still have humans loading the machines? So I got, audit- I got a great video oh. I can show you yeah? uh, of, of a line. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, mind-blowing you know when you see it but it's art mm-hmm. i mean it's really art and it's hard to automate that that art that skill you know and uh, yeah I, I i was down there a few months ago and i'm just like blown away watching watching the line but you know at this point you can't you can't automate the art there's a, there is a skill that you can't you can't really automate you know it's it's, it's interesting to see most automated machines like if it's like a piece of metal like it can pick that up hold it without stretching it or contouring it 
But when it comes to soft goods, especially our garments, which are jerseys, so it has even more like stretch to it. Mm-hmm. You need that like hand feel of a human to be able to control the product. If you were to try to like Plant automate creating something. a shirt, it's going to come out wrong every oh. single time. Even just like if you like stick the like cut pieces into a vending machine, the, the types of ways that they try to pick up the pieces is usually like a vacuum but if it's really lightweight garment it might pick up three pieces and then all of a sudden you have a shirt that you know it's three layers on one sleeve two layers on another one so it's just those little things uh there's been some people that try to automate it um with like putting the shirt in some solution to basically harden it then you can like sew the shirt and then put in a different solution to soften it but that's like adding more steps, more costs, more chemicals. And it's like, you're not really saving anything. Um, it might start with, you know, harder, thicker, less stretchy garments first. So if I'm thinking about like wovens, maybe like a duffel bag or something, Mm -hmm. if it gets there. Um, I, I think it's just because the garment itself is so tangible and so stretchy and like just putting a little bit more pressure on one hand over the other can like completely, you come out with a skewed, you know, garment, um, the technology just isn't there. Everyone's tried to like every year there's a different, you know, at these different like machinery fairs, like people that try to come out with a garment that like can do it, but it's never quite mm-hmm. there at least for our type of garment. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you even probably see in the print shop with like super light, stretchy fabrics, you need to put the stick to like be able to put it on the placket so that the print will come out right. And the shirt doesn't contour through all the different like heads that it goes through. Right. So it's like that times a hundred. So it's really, it's as Mike said, it's like this, this art and science meets each other. You're trying to take these soft, stretchy, intangible things and turn it into this fixed unit. And like, it's just never going to happen hundred percent. Cause even in like, fabric there's like variation in like the weight of a garment between colors right so like if you're trying to put into a machine and say hey this 4.3 ounce sleeve is going to be sewn this way but if the black came in at 4.35 and that's outside of the margin of error it might just like malfunction so it's like those all those little things i I think at least for the, the the near and mid future automation in garment sewing is is probably not happening uh i'd be really interested to see that happen or how it does i think if it does it's going to happen in like non-stretchy maybe more woven like harder materials first maybe Mm -hmm. accessories or top layers things that the fit doesn't have to be as precise so your margin of error you know for like a duffel bag pocket or something like that can be you know 0.1 inches off hats like those little things, it can probably start, and then we'll go from there. Wow, it's yeah. it's uh, it's really interesting. You can there's some cool videos online. The the one that I liked a lot was that garment that like they they put it into this fabric to harden it, then sewed it, mm-hmm. like did all the trimmings and put it into another garment to like to like soften the fabric, get rid of the solution. Yeah. That was because that was probably like the best end result, but the most complicated way to get there. Right. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. just like the worst map quest recommendation ever. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was cool. The result was awesome. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. So if we want job security, we gotta learn to sew. I, I mean yeah, sewing yeah. it's one of the oldest professions, you know, it's usually it's the not first step anywhere. in an industrialized nation. So I mean it, it's it's here to stay at least for a little bit longer. 
Well, uh, Gavin, since we sort of have to wrap stuff up because we've stolen so much of their time, do you want to do your your classic uh, book question? Well, before the book question, actually, because they said something about having 300 employees, right? To me, that's like a massive operation to run. And I know a lot of screen printers and people that run small business in general. Uh, one of the biggest struggle is building a team, right? Or keeping people together. Um, what are you guys, like, what are you guys' philosophy as far as, like, managing people, building a team? Like, what kind of holds it all together for you guys? Uh, good question. Um, I think it, you know, for me, um, it's just doing the right thing, right? And, and um, you know, being, listening, you know, you, you have two ears and one mouth, right? So, um, listen more than you talk. Uh, has always been kind of a, a philosophy for me, um, especially when talking with customers, but internally too, right? And, yeah. you know, not uh, assuming that you know everything also I think is really is really important. Um, I write on my board every day, be humble, because I think, mm-hmm. you know, having humility is really is really critical and, and um, you know, just being empathetic, right? And I think that goes a long way when you're managing teams. You know, nice. I think... Our CEO talks about um, the hands of a clock and kind of in communication, like when you're managing someone or you're working with someone, think of your relationship as hands on a clock. And, you know, as as things start to move off of off of 12 and they start to separate, you want to have more conversations to bring those hands back to back to 12. And as the as the hands get further and further apart and you're not having conversations and you get further, it's really, it's a lot harder to move those hands back as they get further apart. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, frequent conversations, you know, frequent little adjustments and tweaks. So you guys kind of you know, stay aligned is, is something that I've, uh, I've used from him quite a few times. Nice. I'd definitely say, uh, th- that rings true. We, our, our CEO, Randy, he, you know, came in successor to Joe, the founder, to go from like a, a founder led business to like a little bit more corporate structures. That's tough on the culture, especially for some of the, the vets, but like he's got a meeting with like all the leaders on the team. It's really open to everyone every Wednesday morning. And like half of it is just kind of general updates, almost like a town hall, a mini town hall, but it usually ends up with communication skills and things like that, like how to be a good leader and just like how to work as a team. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a long, long book club of lists uh, of, of books uh, that mm-hmm. he's, he's shared with the team. And it's, it's really just talk it out. I mean, as long as we know we're on the same page, you know, I think most of the problems in a team are when everyone's kind of in their own silo and see reality differently. And, you know, as close to seeing things through the same lens as you can, it's not going to mm-hmm. overly align, but that's just going to make it a lot easier because... Right. Your goal's clear, your understanding of everyone's mindset and framework is clear, like, and like, it's easier to have the empathy that Mike touched on if you're able to see how people, like, how are they seeing the situation? Because, like, it, everybody comes to work to do good things, right? Yeah. I mean, people don't come to work to lose. And, uh, you know, everybody's really coming to, to succeed, right? But you gotta make sure that you're communicating the correct messaging so that they know how to succeed. Cause if you're not, yeah. then 
you know, they're going off down some road, some, some path that's not the right path. You know, there's a, there's a book by a guy who was a, like a leadership coach, um, and it was called the three C's. So it was coaching, communication, and consistency. So if you can manage using the three C's, it's pretty simple. Um, but you know, coaching, communication, and consistency as a manager is, is key. Nice. Nice. Thank you for that. Hey, Cole, they, uh, talking about book. Did you f- end up finishing that book? No. <laughs> <laughs> what book? What book? Uh, it was Traction. Yeah. yeah. I, I got like, uh, I'm about three quarters of the way. I haven't finished it, but it is good. It's got a lot of, uh, like actionable worksheets. So when yeah. I finish it, I'm going to kind of circle back and actually do the worksheets because right now I'm just kind of powering through the actual text, but. Um, yeah, it's got a lot of great ideas and a lot of just ideas of just implementing like hard, uh, rules within your business. Yeah. Um, Gavin recommended it. He's read it like what? Two, three times out of zero behind that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that book is, I think a foundational book for any entrepreneur, uh, any, and even a business that's, uh, growing and going more, running it more in a corporate style. Uh, it's by this author that's called Gino Wickman. Uh, it's called Traction Entrepreneur Operating System. Uh, he pretty much prescribed this whole framework on how to run a business, like pretty much like management structure that you should uh, follow. Like, how do you put, how do you bring the team together? Like, what is it that's driving the team? Like, how do you also simplify all that? Like, where it's not overwhelming you? I feel like, uh, because a lot of entrepreneurs that I know, you know, they have a little bit bits and pieces of the puzzle. Like wherever your strength is at, you're probably gonna lean to that. Like, uh, but having like one complete system, if you just kind of study it and kind of roll it out, it takes care of like majority of the pain that you would suffer. Uh, I think it's amazing. So uh, I always recommend that book to everybody. Uh, Traction, EOS. Uh, by Gino Wickman. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, thank you so much for all your time. If there's anything you want to let people know about, like the newsletter, uh, now is your shot. Um, let them know how they can get a hold of you. And uh, if there's a best way to buy Next Level, besides just our normal distributors, uh, let us know about it. Yeah, I think we... You know, we told you about the newsletter, so, you know, you'll see at some of those these trade shows, um, you know, nextlevelapparel.com. Um, reach out to your account executive, call customer service, um, work with your, your distributor partner, um, best ways. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be out visiting as many printers as we possibly can. Um, so that's, nice. that's the focus. Awesome. Well, thanks again for all your time. Uh, To everyone listening, thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, and tell your mom about us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you, guys.